This episode of The Writer Files is brought to you by the inspiring team at Author Accelerator. There's never been a better time to get serious about that book idea that's been rattling around in your head. And working with an Author Accelerator book coach is the best way to write forward. Author Accelerator book coaches give writers feedback, deadlines, and step-by-step guidance while you write so that you can actually finish your book. Your book coach will give you the customized tools and blueprints to success that are so often lacking in the traditional publishing world. And if you think book coaching sounds like a gig you'd like to do, many authors and copywriters have the exact skill sets needed to become great book coaches themselves. Author Accelerator offers intensive book coach training and master classes so that you can help other writers reach their goals. Just head over to authoraccelerator.com slash writerfiles for more info and to get a free seven-day writing challenge to start mapping out your own book. That's authoraccelerator.com slash writerfiles. I'm allowed to write a piece of crap. <laughs> that, I, in other words, I am not holding myself to any kind of specific standard because that immediately impedes my creativity. If I allow myself to sit down and just uh, have some fun expressing myself, I find that the door opens. So I think it was Hemingway who said, you're allowed to write a piece of crap. But if, if I tell myself that on a regular basis, that I'm just, and, and the other thing I tell myself is that no one needs to ever see what I do. You know, this is for, this is for me personally, from just for me. And, and then later I trick myself and, uh, <laughs> and might, you know, decide to get something out in the world. Greetings, writerly people. Welcome back to the writer files. I am your host, Kelton Reed. And in part two of this file, the Academy Award-nominated screenwriter, actor, and author Kim Krizan returned to discuss how she came to work with director Richard Linklater on the critically acclaimed Before Sunrise film series, her lifelong study of femme fatales, and the pioneering work of author Anna East Nin. Kim earned her master's degree in English and literature, and while she was writing her thesis titled Anna East Nin, and a psychology of creativity, she auditioned for a film part on a dare. And as a result, she went on to act in some of acclaimed director Richard Linklater's best-known films, including Slacker, Dazed and Confused, and even played herself in Waking Life. After taking interest in her master's thesis, Linklater and Krizan went on to co-write the lauded film Before Sunrise, featuring Ethan Hawke and Julie Delpy, and they went on to collaborate on the entire award-winning trilogy. It's no surprise that her in-depth studies of the life of a visionary author also led to her latest book, Spy in the House of Anna East Nin, a penetrating look at Nin's incredible life and famous diary, firmly placing Nin in her historical context as a feminist and visionary. Kim joined me via telephone for this interview, and in part two of this file, Kim and I discussed why the liminal hours between waking and sleeping are so valuable for writers, how Kim befriended Anna East Nin's family and was granted access to her secret letters, papers, and original manuscripts. What drove Nin to become the most groundbreaking self-published female author in history and how her visionary work predicted the future. And the secrets of a literary legend 
and the many often broke famous authors she befriended and loved. And why you're allowed to write a piece of crap and risk failure early on. Uh, do me a huge favor. If you're a fan of the show, just pop over to survey.libson.com slash writerfiles and fill out that short seven question survey so we can learn a little bit more about you. That's survey.libson, spelled L-I-B-S-Y-N dot com slash writerfiles. It's simple. It helps a lot. The link is in the show notes and I thank you ahead of time. And if you missed the first half of this show, you can find it in the show notes, the archives at writerfiles.fm. And you can find the last 100 episodes on Apple Podcasts or wherever you pod. Stay tuned. The Writer Files is brought to you by my friends at copyblogger.com. Words that work. Build your online authority with powerfully effective content marketing. Get superior content marketing education so you can build a remarkable online presence. Authors, bloggers, journalists, online publishers, and entrepreneurs, head over to copyblogger.com to learn more. That's copyblogger.com. And if you're a fan of The Writer Files, please click subscribe to automatically see new interviews as soon as they're published, and leave us a rating or a review over on Apple Podcasts to help other writers find us. For me now, the deal is because uh, I've done it. I've I've written in different places, coffee shops and you know libraries and various places. But now the deal is wake up, you know, run to my desk and try to get as much in before the sun comes up, which ends up feeling really great to me because I'm not. I have no sense whatsoever of my ego. I do not know who I am. I'm just this conduit who's trying to, who's pouring, you know, it's like I've I've been trying to say something in my project, whatever it is, and somehow my subconscious is reached something in the night, Mm -hmm. and I, I sit down, and it comes out, and it really feels blissful to me because I have no idea who I am or I have, I'm not conscious of what's good and what's bad. Fortunately, that inner critic stuff, like the left brain stuff, hasn't entered in. Mm-hmm. And I really feel great that that like hour or two. Um, and so that's kind of my my favorite time of the day when I'm working on a project. At least with the last with the the book with the Anis Nim book. That's how it worked. Yeah, kind of that liminal space mm. between. Huh wake and sleep and and vice versa i know a lot of writers talk about later later in the evening and early in the morning absolutely interesting oh god later in the evening too yeah yeah it's something about human biorhythm so i guess that same thing for me early morning late at night there's something about human biorhythms where we just slow down in the middle of the day and the brain doesn't work so well. I, I read somewhere. So yeah. you can work then. It's not, it's not ideal. Yeah, I think actually um, Daniel Pink, who has been a guest on this show as well, wrote a book, mm-hmm. um, maybe it was last year, titled When, which talks a lot about that and kind of the lull mm-hmm that, you know, most people experience typically in the middle of the day, depending on your kind of your own uh, circadian settings. But yeah, where those times are more suited to, you know, like the busy work, um, answering emails or yeah. whatever, cleaning your dishes. 
I don't know. Right. Um, right. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so let's talk about, it seems like to me, like Anais Nen has been a, a creative muse for you for much of your life. Right. And this yeah. book, this new book, which I'll mention now, of course, um, spy in the house of Anais Nen is your, your examination of a lot of long, buried letters, papers, original manuscripts, um, things that you had access to that probably not a lot of other people have kind of been able to look at. So talk a little bit about the book, of course, and uh, how, how these things kind of uh, came to be for you. So while working on the master's, my master's thesis, I uh, was, was trying to get um, information about Anna Eastman's papers. I found out that they're her diaries were at the UCLA library at the special collections and one needed to get permission to go there. And so I was writing letters and then was just astonished when her, I'll call him her second husband, uh, Rupert Pohl, uh, responded Hmm. to me and, um, invited me to have dinner with him. I, he gave me permission to go view the, the materials in the library and then invited me to dinner and to go to the house. And I, I, I was, to me, this was just, I, you know, I couldn't believe this man was writing to me. She had been dead for a while at this point, And he was the, the man that um, was really the love of her life. She lived with him in Los Angeles and they had a house in Silver Lake. And, um, and so I was, you know, blown, this blew my mind. So I went to her house and had dinner with him. And he, he told me some secrets about her and showed me some of her, you know, final diary entries and showed me some of her things. Um, I finished my master's thesis and then I was writing occasional essays about her based on my research in the library. Uh, At some point I, realized that the family, Rupert had died, and I realized that the family, uh, his nephew, was living in the home with just an absolute mountain of paperwork by Ana East, just letters and manuscripts and just all souvenirs and clothes and all kinds of stuff. And I just really didn't know what to do with this stuff. So I uh, got to know them and offered my services and <laughs> was invited to help organize the material. So I got in there and um, discovered all kinds of things that, you know, papers that had never been seen, um, you know, notes and all kinds of things. And I had so many questions about her life. So I was able to put pieces together um, and then write essays and eventually write this book uh, that basically answered my questions about her, about her, about why she was creative, the childhood, about the the first marriage, and, and then the second relationship with Rupert Pohl, and about why Gore Vidal, uh, who had been her close friend, had had come to despise mm-hmm. her and really trashed her. I, you know, I had so many questions about these things and I was able to find the answers in papers that I don't think anyone else has ever seen. So for me, it was a major pilgrimage and I just wanted to reveal it 
to other people who are interested. Hence the book. Well, it's a fascinating window into this fascinating woman. Mm-hmm. And I, I find so many things just utterly astounding about her life. But yeah, you, you kind of put it all in one place about some of these these questions. But, you know, I mean, she really, mm-hmm. you know, as you mentioned, kind of, she was a visionary. She kind of saw, she was kind of seeing a little bit into the future. I mean, she was like, she was the er blogger of her time, or, you know, she, you know, was one of the uh, grand mothers of like self-publishing, right? I mean, all these fascinating things about her oh, as a writer. Absolutely. That is so true. It is so true that she foresaw certain things that, you know, during her day, self-publishing was considered a bit of, you know, you, you must be a bit of a failure if you're not recognized by the major publishers. And, and diaries, by the way, were, were no great thing. You know, diaries were for, for little ladies, you know, at, mm-hmm. at the home. Um, she, she, and and this, this idea of reaching out to other people, she called it, she, what she wished for was a cafe in space. That's the way she put it, <laughs> because she wanted connections with other people. And so everything that she was really doing, and then in the end, really fighting for, because she was she was disparaged for, for a lot of what she valued, end, ends up now being what we think of as uh, valuable, you know, the personal um, connections with other people, our right to get our work out in the world on our own terms, all, all of these things she was she was doing and she believed would have their day. And the, I be, I actually think that it's it's all happening right now. Yeah, you know, um, I think she would she would absolutely understand t- 2019. You know, it's, it's a, it, everything that we're now coming to is what she fought for. She was born in 1903 and she, you know, was, uh, she was basically, they were still under the influence of the, the Victorian era. She was a little ca- Catholic girl, Spanish Catholic girl. And her personal writing was very, you know, was very private. Like she knew she and her family were the only ones who knew about it, but you know, she got it out in the world. And then it just, at the time she got it out in the 1960s, it was, it was really appreciated. The personal was starting to be really appreciated at that time. But I think that she would be amazed to see what we're doing now, how we're all essentially keeping public diaries, yeah. you know, with our, with social media and we're keeping public diaries. So you know, I think everyone now really understands and values diary. We understand the personal, which when she was writing, a lot of people just didn't get. They thought that that was somehow lesser than. And uh, so really, I think she was visionary. You're absolutely right. Yeah. And and a truly prolific writer, you know, obviously her, her diaries go back to her, to her very early youth. And then she wrote, I mean, everything from novels to uh, essays and critical studies and volumes of erotica. But yeah, I mean, she was just way ahead of her time. Yeah, I think she really was ahead of her time. You know, some of those things she didn't expect to get out in the world at all. 
she was really writing for herself. Like the, the erotica, which ended up being the first best-selling work that she did, and it came out right after she died. She gave permission on her deathbed for the erotica. She was actually writing that for a dollar a page in the 1940s. She simply needed the money. And there was a uh, private, what was he called? Is a private collector or something mm. like that. Who, and she didn't even know the identity of the man, but she found out that this man was willing to pay a dollar a page right. for erotica. And so <laughs> she somehow heard about this and she, so she started writing erotica just to, just to make money. And the man kept getting word back to her. He kept saying less poetry. <laughs> Less poetry, more more graphic, <laughs> more graphic. It was too really, literary. <laughs> it was too yeah, literary. Funny. And she just said she couldn't help it. She couldn't help it. It was just so. But really what it then turned into is some of the first female erotica, really probably the most famous female erotica of the 20th century. She never expected that to see the no. light of day. She simply needed the money. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Which, you know, so, so that's funny. That's funny because she would have been very surprised that those books, um, Delta Venus and Little Birds, came out because she didn't expect those to ever be read by anybody. Amazing. Well, she was a friend okay. and in some cases a lover of a lot of pretty famous writers, including, as you mentioned, Gore Vidal, right? But also Henry Miller, which is a, you know, probably one of the more well known aspects of her life. But was it was it true that she and Henry Miller and some of their friends were were also writing erotica in the forties, as you mentioned, for a dollar page? I think he may have been one of the people that she right, because she uh when she was writing the 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 erotica, she would try to bring her writer friends in on that gig. Writer friends especially who needed money. And I believe he was one of her friends who attempted that. I'm not sure if he did it as much as she yeah. did, but they they had a really interesting relationship. They met when she was living in Lucien, France, which is Lucien is a, a little uh, suburb of France, and she was a banker's wife. They're very lonely at the time, um, writing by her, you know, writing alone and didn't have a lot of friends and certainly didn't have friends who were writers. And, and she, uh, she was quite the, you know, the polished little, you know, lady. Well, somehow this basically was a vagabond, this vagabond, a writer from Brooklyn, New York is invited to their house for lunch. <laughs> and, uh, she creates a lovely lunch and he comes to the house and they had the most amazing chemistry immediately. It was just kind of, kind of a um, cataclysmic uh, bringing together of two seemingly opposite personalities. They ended up just um, supporting one another's writing. Neither one of them had any success at that point, but he absolutely opened doors for her because she, like I said, she had been a, basically um, a com coming out of the Victorian era and be, at being a Catholic girl and then being a young wife. She was really starving for a kind of experience that she hadn't yet found. And Henry Miller was of the streets. Mm -hmm. 
He was a very earthy, earthy man. And she was, she didn't know it, but she was starving for that. And so he ended up opening doors for her, just opening her eyes to a certain kind of reality that she hadn't seen yet. You know, she, she writes about it very eloquently, really, in her first published diary, which is the Diary of Anna Eastman, Volume 1, which really chronicles that time. And then also in Henry and June, which is the, uh, the, the expurgated portions of that book. But, um, but she also was super important in his life because she was a, an astute reader, an astute listener, and a supporter of his who gave him the confidence to get his work out in the world. And also, um, you know, she actually gave him money. Yeah. They were, so they were very close friends and supporters, and he adored her. He called her the starry being. Hmm. So for, for many years, they were, were true comrades yeah. in arms. One of my favorite titles is uh, Tropic of Cancer. And I understand, I think mm-hmm. you, you had mentioned it in another podcast interview that she kind of helped him to not only come up with the title for that book, but also helped him publish it. Yes, yes. So he was working on that manuscript when he came to lunch in their house. And he had, he, it, it, you know, so it was still, it was still really forming. And when he started talking, you know, about his, his, uh, um, you know, at the time, at the time, it was a, a totally new approach for her, at least. It was because she came out of so much romanticism. Mm-hmm. Uh, and here's here's this man who's very graphic and very earthy and very of the streets. And she instantly was just electrified. You know, this is what she needed. She needed someone to open this door for her and show her the beauty of another way of life. And so they were instantly supporters and they were trading manuscripts with one another. She gave him her book on D.H. Lawrence, which was kind of a big deal because D.H. Lawrence was was very, uh, at the time, uh, kind of um, rejected by a lot of people for writing about sexuality. And so here this, you know, this this little little banker's wife writes a uh, <laughs> a book about D.H. Lawrence and some of her friends and family members were absolutely scandalized by that. <laughs> but she gave that book to him. <laughs> it's called D.H. Lawrence, an unprofessional study, which is such a self-effacing mm. title. But she gave that book to Henry Miller and he saw instantly that she was a, a, a real writer and a good writer and very astute, you know, very insightful. And so they traded work and she, you know, he he would ask her for feedback on his work, and she ended up really like she she basically set him up uh, so that he could write. She gave him her typewriter. She gave him her, he, her. She received an allowance from her husband, and she would give Henry her allowance so that he could continue writing without having to worry about where he was going to get his next yeah. meal. And they would they would just get together and trade papers, you know, and she would, she would look over his work and give him feedback and he would look over hers. And she helped him arrive at the title, um, topic of cancer. So she was an integral part of his becoming published and becoming a success. Uh, I do think though, that 
you know, over the years that that he received the adulation and she was considered just sort of a, you know, a little, I mean, a little patron of, of his, but that wasn't the case at all. They were actually equals in many ways and he was supporting her. It's just that I think there was a certain sexism oh, at play yeah. and her work wasn't as respected. <laughs> and, uh, you know, now here we can, we can see that clearly they were, they were supporting one another because they were both brilliant writers. Yeah, that's incredible. It's an incredible story. But uh, kudos on the book. Um, again, I'll mention the title. Thank you. Spy in the House of Anais Nin. And um, yeah, it's based on a new examination of long buried letters, papers, and original manuscripts held at UCLA and found in Nin's LA home. Um, takes a penetrating look at Nin's incredible life and famous diary. Yeah, it's it's a deep dive, and it's um, gosh, it really just sheds some life on this visionary writer. And um, highly recommend to listeners. So, Kim, where do you want to uh, before we wrap up with any advice you have to your to your fellow scribes? Where do we want to point <laughs> listeners? Of course, I will link to the book and um, your Amazon author page. Uh, your IMDb. Anywhere else you want to point listeners to connect with you out there in the world? Well, let's see. So um, I'm I'm on Facebook. Uh, I've got an Instagram where I am uh, posting photos that I took uh, in Anna Eastman's oh. house for, because I, I I organized her collection of photographs. Oh, wow. So they're her personal photos, and I'm putting them up on Instagram. It's uh, the Instagram is Kim Crazon official. But uh, so I think those are probably the best places: the Facebook, the Instagram. I'm I'm on Amazon, obviously, yeah. and, uh, Audible as well. Cool. So uh, the book the books have been narrated. Fantastic. So thank you. Yeah. So I think uh, to wrap here. Yeah, do you have some advice to your fellow scribes and just kind of how to keep going, how to keep keep the ink flowing besides uh-huh. besides finding a bene- well, benefactor like Yeah. Anna yeah. Well, you know, the 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 best thing that I use for myself is that this is what I say to myself. I'm allowed to write a piece of crap. <laughs> that in other words, I am not holding myself to any kind of specific standard because that immediately impedes my, my creativity. If I allow myself to sit down and just uh, have some fun expressing myself, I find that the door opens. So I think it was Hemingway who said, you're allowed to write a piece of crap. But if, if I tell myself that on a regular basis, that I'm just, and, and the other thing I tell myself is that no one needs to ever see what I do. You know, this is for, this is for me personally, for just for me. And, and then later I trick myself and, uh, (laughs) and might, you know, decide to get something out in the world. But I find that usually my, uh, work comes out of questions I have, like I, there's some kind of burning question or some sort of confusion that I need to sort out. And it's, it feels like a real pressing matter. Sometimes, sometimes it's like a, an irritant of a sort that mm. I would like to sort something out for myself. And so I sit down 
And I don't know what the answer is, but I feel the need to try to sort it out. And so if I sit down and start working, over time, the answer starts to form. And one day I'm done with whatever it is. If it's a chapter or it's a book or it's a screenplay or it's a poem or, you know, whatever, even like a diary entry sometimes, you know, just some little thing in my journal. But I feel a tremendous sense of relief when I have managed to somehow get, get it out and get it turned into something tangible, which is like maybe a page of work or a chapter or whatever. And um, I realized that there was something coming out of my subconscious, like a question, and that creating a tangible piece of work took the willingness to do a really crappy job and to stumble around and, um, and maybe fail. But it was worth the effort because at the end, what I have just leads to this tremendous sense of relief. Like I have solved a problem and I feel forever after that is solved, I feel lighter in that, whatever that area is. Hmm. So does that make sense? Absolutely. (laughs) Yeah. Um, Yeah. I'm, uh, I think it's the willingness to just sit down and stumble around. I love that. Well, um, I think that's a great place to kind of wrap up here. I did want to ask you uh, what you are presently working on. Are you, are you back doing some screenwriting stuff? Or are you working on more nonfiction? Are we technically calling this um, most recent book a biography also? You know, that's what they ended up deciding to call it. Mm. I I guess that's okay. I guess biography is okay. I'd say it's a a series of essays analyzing uh, a writer's life, but mm-hmm. biography is okay too. Yeah. Yeah. So what are you working on now? Well, you know, I seem to always circle back to this uh, issue of trying to exonerate people who I feel have been misunderstood. So I'm starting a uh, screen uh, play about a woman who I, I, uh, I feel was, was misunderstood during her time We'll see how it goes. You never know with Hollywood stuff. It's always, uh, you know, it's always a big mystery whether <laughs> things will <laughs> get made or get read or whatever. But mm. it's, I, I, I am interested in uh, people who I feel weren't understood. Yeah. So that's what I seem to be working on now. <laughs> Fantastic. Well, Kim, thank you so much for taking the time uh, to wrap with us about your process. It's fantastic. Um, latest and um, all all the best of luck in future endeavors. And I could probably pick your brain all day long, but I'm gonna let you go. Okay, I really enjoyed talking to you, Kelton. It's fantastic. Thank you so much. Oh, the pleasure has been all mine. And uh, please come back and enlighten us um, in the future. Oh, I would absolutely love to. Thank you so much. Hello to your readers and keep writing. It's good for you. Thanks so much for joining us for this half of The Writer Files. And if you enjoy the podcast, please subscribe to the show and leave us a rating or a review to help other writers find us. You can always leave us a comment or a question and visit the entire archives at writerfiles.fm, where we also humbly ask you to support the show with a secure donation to help us keep going. Just click the little yellow PayPal donate button over at Writer Files 
kelton.fm. And you can always chat with me on Twitter at Kelton Reed. Cheers. Talk to you next week. And thank you.